Welcome to Femme Collective with Katie, Stacy, and Mai. Well, we are so excited to have everyone here today to listen to this wonderful discussion that we have planned with my dear friend, Dixie Claybrook. Dixie and I have worked together in various ways and capacities over the last 15 years, but most importantly, she is a very close friend of mine and my most valued mentor. We had a listener last year ask us a question about how we might be able to balance being a compassionate leader with the challenges that might come along with that sometimes. And we immediately thought of Dixie. Dixie, welcome to Fem Collective. Katie, I'm thrilled to be here today and, and with, with you and my, and very honored. I'll be really honest. I have never thought of myself as a compassionate leader uh, until you, you made the call and asked me to consider doing this. And I had to look up what it meant <laughs> to make sure that you hadn't made a mistake. Um, so um, I'm thrilled to be here today and I, I hope we can I'm, I know I'm gonna learn as much from you today and hopefully I can share something with you that makes sense. Oh, I know that to be true. Um, that's, that's kind of shocking to me that you, that you hadn't identified this in yourself, but I'm sure that our listeners will be able to, to grasp just what I have over so many years. So Dixie, can you tell us about your journey in becoming a leader, whether it's at work, in your community, in your family, just kind of how you view leadership and how you've gotten to those places today. I will do my best. When I was thinking about what it means for me to be a leader and what traits are important to me in leadership, I started thinking back over the jobs that I've had over my career. And Katie, I think you know this, but I had a shotgun approach to life prior to my, my current position. Um, I did everything from uh, writing for a local newspaper, to working for a management consulting firm, to making agriculture loans, and to working at as the CFO at a regional prison. And I really think this might sound odd, but the job at the prison really shaped, I think, my leadership style more than anything else. So we were a 300-bed facility, and the sheriff in our, our um local county said, you know, look, we need to develop programs for these, these inmates because they're all coming back out to society. And our job isn't just to keep them safe and help them serve their time. Our job is to help them be better prepared to be successful when they get out. I think that thought has stayed with me as, I, as I've moved into other roles, right? Because to know that somebody is eventually coming back and you want them to be a, a better person, right? Like we're not in prison every day. We don't go to jail, but we want the people that we impact each day to be better, right? And to be more successful in whatever they do next. So when I left the prison, I thought that's so important when we're working with people every day to understand and appreciate them for where they are in their personal journey. And then how can you equip them with skills to be successful moving forward? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make you cry already. <laughs> you know me. You know, 
I know. I see, this is the compassion I'm talking about it came out immediately. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Dixie, this is something it, it reminds me of kind of a saying that is very common when you say you just want to leave the world a better place than you found it. And that's kind of what I thought about when you when you said that. I, I already knew that I was going to learn something from today's conversation or or at least just just have like a, an aha moment. I truly have it almost every episode, every conversation we have. But I just feel like right now when what you described and I completely understand why you got emotional about it, because it's something that clearly speaks to your heart. It's something you think of daily, if not every moment. I've never thought of one in, in being a leader, regardless of where, it, where I am of the long-term impact that I'm having. And, and that's almost like for you, Dixie, it sounds like in, in from that role you had, it was, it was clear that your, your focus was a long-term impact, but I never have been able to translate that and just think of it in every single place that I am in the impact that I'm trying to make long-term. I feel it in my home as a mom, as with my husband, but I can't say I've taken ever taken that mindset into the workplace. And so I already... Yeah, I, I'm already forever changed. So, so thank you for sharing that. Dixie, you are just something else. Um, let's talk about how you carry that into kind of some of your current roles. And I think that there is still a common misconception that in being a compassionate leader, you might invite some challenges that allow people to quote unquote, like walk all over you or take advantage of you or things like that. Can you talk about that and how you have balanced this and what it's looked like for you? I'll do my best. And, and, and hopefully this doesn't sound too simplistic, but the way I view it is if, if, if my goal is to help people be the best that they can be, that includes hard news. It's gonna include news that maybe you don't like, Right. And if I dance around that or I sugarcoat it, I'm not meeting my long term goal. If my long term goal is to see Katie succeed. If I don't have those hard conversations with her, I'm not doing that. If I don't put you first in the relationship, then I'm doing you a disfavor. Secondly, you don't trust me. If all I give you is good news, you don't trust me. And any relationship is all about trust. And with trust comes those hard conversations. So when I've, when I've had to deliver bad news or had a conversation with someone about that I knew wasn't going to go very well, potentially, I've just stepped back before the meeting and thought about what, what is it? What is the reason why Katie needs to hear this message or someone needs to hear this message, right? And the reason I'm talking to them about it is so that when they come through on the other side, they're a better performer. They're meeting their goals not just my goals, but they're meeting their goals for what they want to do with their career. So I shift the conversation from all I'm going to do is upset this person internally to this really is to help them meet their goals. You know, that's really great. It made me think that as you were saying that, that compassion and being compassionate includes having difficult conversations. It includes moving someone forward. And I really like the way you frame that where you said, you know, I have to think about this, not as this is going to be really hard and it's going to hurt this person, but much more about the longer view, the long game here 
is not to create a bunch of friends, although I think that is the byproduct through compassionate leadership and compassionate management, but that's not the primary goal. Your goal is to move them forward and help them meet their future goals too. Right, because let's think about it. In all aspects of our life, whether it's professionally or personally, I believe people come and go for a reason, right? So people come into your life and it's not for what's, yes, there'll be something that happens right here and right now, but two or three years down the road, you may remember a conversation you had with someone that made a world of difference to you. My story I started with, Ralph has no idea how that shaped me. So if you think, if you think about it from a long-term perspective, I really think it changes it just changes how you treat people. It does. I mean, it has this kind of infinite impact. And it's something that Stacy mentioned in our last season. You know, you just don't know the kind of impact that you're going to have. So remember that. And that's in all sorts of interactions. And Mai said that a few minutes ago. I mean, we just don't know how it will impact people potentially forever. Dixie, I think that when you do have tough discussions like that, the kind of trust and rapport that you've built for people and them knowing about your kindness and where you are coming from and the compassion that you have laid in terms of like a bedrock of your relationship with those people. That counts when you have to deliver bad news, when you have to tell someone something difficult. They trust you. They trust that you're intention is good and well-meaning. And even if it's really, really hard to hear in that moment, when the dust settles, I think that the hard work that you do up front in building that rapport with those people, it really ends up paying off. I totally agree with you, Katie, because and so many times as leaders, we get so busy on just our day-to-day and become so task-oriented about what we need to accomplish and get done. We forget that those simple conversations over coffee, even just acknowledging that we talk about quick wins all the time, right? And celebrating others. How many times do people take the time? And it takes two minutes. To say, Katie, got a chance to listen to the podcast the other day. It was great, right? And when you have those kind of conversations, you show you're invested in people. It's much easier to have one of those harder conversations if you have that foundation to begin with. It's true. And this, this leads me right into the next thing that I wanted to ask, because a lot of these things seem inherent, innate, organic in you, because I think it's just your personality style. You have this ability to make people feel very important and listened to and heard. And I picked up on that in the first couple of times we met and I knew that you would be something very special to me in the long term turns out I was right but do you think that compassion is something that can be learned can do you think this kindness and this kind of attention to people's outside of work life is something that can be learned if you were to ask my family some of them would tell you I don't have heart because I have a tendency and I think to be very task-oriented and my style, my, my core, you talk about being innate. I don't know if it's something I really was born with. I think it was something as I've watched other people that I've had in my life that have made a difference in my life. I've just borrowed some of their techniques and learned 
from each of them, right? And then just incorporated it into who I am. This is a learned behavior. It's not something that you're born with. You absolutely can learn it. That's really good news for everyone to hear because I think a lot of people might feel a bit intimidated if that might not be their natural inclination is to think about people first instead of tasks, you know, effectiveness, efficiency, getting things done, knocking things off your list. And so I think that should be very encouraging for our listeners to hear. Just learning that, you know, this is not natural for you, right? Something you've practiced or at least have to consciously, you know, learn over the years because it's almost like growing or being in in the industry that we're in. A lot of times you are almost, you almost feel like you need to be very, very task oriented and highly competent to the point where, you know, people see it and hear it from you and therefore they'll respect you more and, and see that you have, that you're credible and, and, and all that good stuff. But just in listening to what you're saying and knowing you as well, what I love about it is that in your journey to be a compassionate leader, you've never once compromised your convictions. You still, you know, deal with things head on as you need to. And then you also have never neglected or, or even downplayed your competence either. And so in seeing in my, in my eyes, it's almost like, you know, you have that well-rounded package and it's not just that you've elevated being a compassionate leader above all, all other things. No, no, you are who you are. You still call things out when they need to be, but because you have taken the time to, as you said, you know, appreciate people when they do good things or let them know that you're interested in their overall journey, wherever they are, then you've almost developed like the meta message, which we've learned even in last season, where it's like, I always know when Dixie approaches me, it is genuine, authentic, and led with by compassion. But that doesn't mean like you said, I always I'm going to like what you say, you're not always going to agree with me. And that's fine because I know where it's coming from. So I I just love that you said that it is something that's learned because almost for me, as somebody who I think I'm the opposite, I'm definitely a feeler at heart. I've almost had to learn to, to, to suppress that. And I think you've shown me that you can, you can still be compassionate and still be a great manager, a great leader, and people will still respect you. So Mike, can I ask you a question? Because obviously I'm a feeler. I cry at a heartbeat, right? I mean, I, I cry at commercials, right? You give me start. I've cried in job interviews. Um, I've cried in all kinds of inappropriate places, but it's sometimes I think it's more challenging to be a feeler and then go into those, those hard conversations, right? So do you still, are you able to value that feeler part of you that who at the core leads with their heart? when you walk into those hard conversations. Does my question make sense? Yeah, I, I think it does. And in my response, I think you'll know if, if I'm answering it correctly, if I've addressed it. But I mean, I think it's what I'm learning from you now. There are moments when I'm having those hard conversations or even unfavorable news that I'm sharing. You know, when I keep the end goal in mind, which is I want this person to be better. I want this institution to be better as a result of what I have to say then I I feel like it's not that hard because I'm still being genuine because my ultimate goal is for you, it, that to be better. And I'm then sharing these news or these conclusions. I'm sharing this feedback. And, and, and I've never noticed it that way, but it's almost like 
as a feeler, but also as a very expressive person, if I don't believe what I'm saying, it's going to show. And so I've always done my very best to, to prepare, but also to look at what I'm trying to reflect on what I'm trying to say and then think to myself, what's, what is the end goal? What am I trying to get at? And because I am a feeler and a people person and extremely sensitive, talk about crying in, 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 in settings where you probably shouldn't be. Um, it's happened to me many times. I've learned that my tears should not diminish what I have to say if it comes to that point. If at the end of the day, I'm still, I'm still communicating what needs to be said and, and, and something that I think will be of benefit to whoever's around me. Does that answer it? Kind of. Yes, it does. But something I realized when you were answering it is one of the things that I struggled with is sometimes if conversation is very dear to me, right? If you're really talking about at the core of who I am or someone else is, because you get into those conversations with people when you lead with your heart, you know, you it's almost an intimate conversation, right? Giving myself permission to just cry through that conversation and know that the tears might come. And I struggled with, does, does that show weakness as a leader if I show my emotions? So do I need to keep that buried down and put a shield on, you know, put on a face when I go into, into those conversations? And what I have found, at least in, for me, it's okay to let the tears, if the tears come, the tears come, even in those hard conversations. And, and at first it might make people you're having the conversation with feel a little bit awkward. But I do think it helps build that foundation that, you, you know, you're both being real in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You're not coming in as the manager or the you're just coming in as Dixie and we're having this conversation. These are the things that I've learned so much from you over the years, Dixie. And, but, you know, my mentioned the meta message, you know, the, the undercurrent, the, you know, kind of this message that you continue to clearly and loudly and authentically send to those people that are in your life, the big, broad message of, I love you. I care about you. You mean a lot to me. And so therefore, when I come to you with this difficult discussion, it's all going to be okay. Right. That undercurrent is, is there. The important part has already been built, but something that I know that you've done over your career in different ways but particularly I know from a very close friend of mine over the last several years is that you do care very much about people and where they are in their life that has nothing to do with their work. And I am currently, I have a manager right now who does that for me. And there is nothing better, nothing better could happen to me with a young child at home during a pandemic than a manager who asks me about my daughter, who makes sure I'm okay, who tells me I'm making the right decision when I say I need to take time off and take care of her, who who totally and fully and almost blindly supports me in this world where I'm, I really, really care about my career, but I also really, really care about my family. And he helps to make me feel very confident in my decisions, particularly when I put my family first. And there's just, I mean, it's really kind of priceless. And I know that you have done that for people that work for you, with you, even for people who don't work for you or with you, for people like me, when I ask for advice, these are things that maybe they come naturally, maybe not, but it is so important and has such a lasting long-term impact. 
thank you for the kind words, but Katie, what I would, what I tell you and tell anyone else, I can't separate home Dixie from work Dixie. I'm, this, this is it. I think if we do that to the people that we work with or work for us, you're asking someone to just bring, you know, and saying, I, if I, I only want to deal with work, Katie, I don't want to deal with, we're just setting you up for failure and we're setting our, ourselves up for failure, right? Because if things are okay at home for you and you know, I'm concerned about that, you're going to give more at work. There are going to be days you're maybe not as productive, but overall, you're going to be a better employee because I recognize everything that comes as part of who Katie is and comes to work. And we've got to learn that, I think, as leaders, right? And that's why you all be great leaders, because you understand that you are great leaders. Well, you know what? We have learned so much. We learned so much from each other. I think the peer mentorship that my Stacy and I have is just unmatched. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to, you know, kind of memorialize this and do a podcast because we just have these really highly impactful discussions amongst each other. And we thought it would be good to share So Dixie, before we end today, I really wanted, I found this quote from a group called ITA and I loved it. It talked about compassionate leadership and I want to read it to you and get your reaction. Compassionate leaders seek influence, not authority. They don't demand, they encourage. They lead with hope. They guide, acknowledge, and support team members to combine their efforts, skills, talents, insights, passion, enthusiasm, and commitment to work together for the greater good. I love, I love that quote. I've not heard it and please share it with me. I like the hope part. And can I, can I tell you something that I read today that, that, that really struck me? There was a study on mice and hope. And so they put five mice in a jar and after 15 minutes, they could tell they were starting to struggle. So they took them out of the water, didn't let them drown, took care of them and put them back in the water. Guess how long they swam for? 60 more hours. And they traced it, the researchers traced it back to hope that they knew that they wouldn't be left to die, that someone would come in and take care of them. So if we can show people early when they're struggling, we're here for you, right? We're not gonna set you up to fail. Then you have hope. And you can go through those harder times for a longer period of time. But if you don't do that, people give up. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away. But as you said it again, as you, you shared that story, it helped me to think back in, in situations in which I was placed in or fell into or happened to be in in my life or at work where I was struggling. And I was like, you know what? I'm not made for this. I don't think that I can do it. I don't know, you know, what God was thinking when he placed me here. But then I know that in those moments when I, when I have my mentors and when I have my peers that do believe in me, it's like, okay, well, I mean, either they're crazy or they're onto something. And if they believe in me and they have hope that I'm going to get through it, that I'm going to excel, that I'm going to learn something new, that I have something to contribute, then I have to, right? Yeah. And I must, <laughs> and it helps me push through. And so like, I just, 
as you described it, literally, I almost just was like trans transcended into another time and then just put myself in the situation. I was like, that's right. I mean, just knowing that I had these supporters or these people, my board of directors, however I want to call them in my corner, I was able to keep going, know who to go to for resources, know who to go to for hope, know who to go to for, for, for advice. And then I got it done. So, and I got further in a lot of instances than I thought I ever could. So that's where it's like, wow. Yeah. And you didn't give up as a result. I mean, that, that's what I'm, I'm just blown away by that study, Dixie. And I hope that you'll send that to us so we can include it in the show notes for anyone who might want to take a look. And I'd like to read it too, because it just is so, uh, I, it's hard to even put into words how important that was to learn. I mean, I think about it myself, times where I didn't think I could go on times when I needed to quit and I just got the help I needed. And that causes hope. And it makes you learn over and over again that you don't have to quit. That you can go on because help is there. Someone is going to help you. Now, whether that's personal mostly or sometimes professionally, when you feel like you are just flailing and drowning and someone reaches out their hand, those are really profoundly impactful moments in our life. So Dixie Claybrook, thank you for such an honest wonderful conversation that I knew we would have. You've helped me definitely distill a clearer path forward on how to balance compassion with being assertive, with being direct, um, and knowing that all of those things can exist in one human. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And we're so lucky to have you. I love you. I love you too. And thank you for this opportunity. Um, you've, You've helped me today. So thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Be sure to write a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Fem Collective Podcast and continue the discussion by joining our Fem Collective Facebook group. Until next time, this is Fem Collective where it's all about empowering connection through her perspective.